Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Want to make sure you never miss a Chilling Tales for Dark Nights video again? Be sure to subscribe and hit that bell to turn on notifications. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's edition, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with two audio adaptations of frightening fiction about shady shots and prophetic photographs. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Micah Edwards and N.M. Brown are voice talents Luis Bermudez, Olivia Steele, and Melissa Exelberth. Now, get your ticket ready, take your seat in our theater of the minds, and brace yourself. It's time to... Turn off the lights and turn on the dark. 
Our first story tonight is written by Micah Edwards and is performed by Luis Bermudez. In the new world that we live in, decisions are more difficult than ever. There are hundreds of professional opinions, all from proclaimed professionals. We'll see what happens when someone chooses the wrong one. Without further ado, I present to you, Dambraka. If I could have said one thing to COVID-19, had one opportunity to deliver a message that the virus could understand, it would have been, please don't destroy my life. No posturing, no tough guy stuff from me. Just a plea. Not that I think it would have worked. I feel like if a virus understood the damage it was wreaking, it would just laugh. But still, I would have tried. I had a great life. I had a great job, a thriving social life. I had a pretty cool apartment in New York City, the absolute top of the world. Then, suddenly, my social life was gone. My job vanished, and that apartment was my prison. No one to see, nowhere to go, nothing to do but worry and fret. All thanks to coronavirus and its relentless, invisible spread. The disease terrified me. Sure, I was young and relatively healthy, but that was no guarantee of survival. You could catch it from people who were showing no symptoms. In the early days, they weren't sure whether it lingered on surfaces or not. You know how hard it is not to touch a surface that another person has touched in New York City? It's impossible. Forget public transit, forget elevators, forget restaurants. I couldn't even leave my apartment for fear of walking into a cloud of my neighbor's exhaled droplets in the hallway. It was everywhere before we even realized it had arrived. It was spreading like wildfire, and the official channels were estimating a 3% mortality rate. You know what a 3% mortality rate looks like in New York City? If the whole city gets it, I mean. In the early days, it looked like we were all going to. 250,000 dead. A quarter million people. That's what 3% of the city is. You can talk about 97% survival all you like. It's impossible to believe that someone you know won't be part of the quarter million. Or that you won't. Obviously, it never got that severe. But the reason it never did was the lockdown. And in a lot of ways, that was just as bad. All COVID-19 could do was kill you. Well, unless you ended up with long COVID. In which case, it could cause permanent loss of lung function, brain fog, heart palpitations, constant fatigue, and joint pain. Plus, you might never taste anything again. So, actually, maybe killing you was the least it could do. Anyway, the lockdown. I moved to the city because it's the center of everything. It's vibrant, thrilling, lively. It's alive in a way nowhere else I've ever lived has been. So the lockdown wasn't just a matter of some doors closing. It drove the city into a coma, slowed its heart, stopped its limbs. All I could do was watch helplessly as the city fought for its survival, just as much a victim as the tens of thousands afflicted within it. For a year, I had nothing to do but huddle within this giant metaphor, hoping and praying that I would emerge with my mind, body, and life intact. Then came the vaccines. But not for me. I was young and healthy, according to their charts. 
Never mind that I'd gained 20 pounds during the pandemic. Never mind that I hadn't seen the sky in so long that my skin was nearly translucent. No, I was qualified as low risk, and so I remained trapped in my hovel as more and more of my neighbors regained their freedom. Every person at large in the city made it more dangerous for the unvaccinated like me. I started to press towels up against the crack beneath my door to stop air from the hallway from drifting in. I bought HIPAA filters and duct taped them over the vents in my apartment. I began ordering takeout in family-sized quantities so that I only had to open the door once a week for food. I refreshed the vaccine sign-up sites constantly, clicking for hours at a time in hopes that a slot would open up. In short, I was not doing well. In fact, I would go so far as to say I had become desperate, which explains why, when I got this text, I did not immediately delete it. Need a vaccine? Not eligible yet. Sign up today and be vaccinated in a week. Limited slots available. I clicked the link, which led me to nothing but a white page asking for my name and email address. It was obvious that I was just signing up to be spammed, but against my better judgment, I filled in the boxes and hit submit. Moments later, an email arrived. Thanks for your interest in Dambraka, Ben. You are number 71 on our list. Please confirm your email address to secure your spot. We look forward to vaccinating you soon. Another link, which I dutifully followed. This one thanked me for confirming my email and presented me with a barrage of questions about my health and medical history. I checked the boxes, filled in the blanks, and gave away far too many personal details about myself. The whole time, I told myself that it was a trick, A scam that I was wasting my time, but I didn't stop. Just minutes after providing all of the requested information, I received a second email. This one provided me with an address for the vaccination site and an appointment date only three days away. I reread it several times in disbelief. It was really going to be that easy. There had to be a catch. The fine print at the bottom started out with the expected warnings. Show up with a mask, don't come if you're feeling sick or... If you've had any other vaccines within 90 days, remain in the clinic for 15 minutes afterwards in case of an allergic reaction. Then it moved into slightly sketchier territory. The Dambraka vaccine is being made available to the general public under the authority of the FDA Emergency Use Authorization. By receiving the vaccine, you agree to indemnify and hold harmless Dambraka for any and all side effects. I didn't love that. A couple of minutes of Googling showed that similar warnings were coming with the Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson shots as well, though. It looked like it was just more boilerplate that they were all doing, and at least I wouldn't have to wait months for this one. I wasn't sure how this company had managed to sidestep the restrictions on eligibility groups, but I also wasn't inclined to ask too many questions. I needed this. The morning of my appointment, I woke up with a weird tickle in my throat. I told myself it was nothing. I took my temperature to prove it, but the thermometer came back showing 99.3. That still didn't mean anything. That wasn't even a degree over normal. Sure, my temperature tended to run a degree or so lower than the average, but still, it was probably just stress. My soap smelled normal. My breakfast tasted fine. I wasn't skipping this appointment. I put on long sleeves and gloves, masked up, took a deep breath, and stepped out of my apartment. The empty hall was fine but I couldn't bring myself to set foot in the elevator. So many people had touched it. And what if someone else got on while I was riding? I took the stairs instead. 
The trip across town was nerve-wracking. Pressing through the subway turnstile sent a shudder through my body. Touching the strap on the train, even with my gloved hand, felt like a biohazard. How had I done this daily for so long? How had I not caught every disease in the city? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The clinic had a nurse at the door with an infrared thermometer ready to check my temperature as I walked in. I tried to think cool thoughts as he scanned me. It must have worked as he just glanced at the reading and motioned me inside. I let out a sigh of relief, tried to pass it off as a cough, Realized that that wasn't better, and then almost choked on my own spit, trying to swallow the fake cough. The nurse gave me a quizzical look, but I waved and nodded to indicate that I was fine. He shrugged and turned away. I headed into the waiting room. It was a small affair, only a dozen feet across. A few chairs were set around the edge, spaced out at something approximating six feet. I avoided them all and stood uncertainly near the entrance. There didn't seem to be any sort of receptionist's window, just a door on the far wall. I wondered if I was supposed to knock or if they already knew I was here. The answer to my question, a man in scrubs and a lab coat, opened the door. Ben Marshall, he asked. That's me. Great. Come on back. I'm Dr. Martin Hurley. We are glad to have you here today. He led me down a short hallway and into a lab no larger than the waiting room. It was divided into cubicles by a number of paper drapes hanging from the ceiling. Dr. Hurley directed me into the nearest one, which contained two plastic chairs and a small metal cart. Here is seat, suggested Dr. Hurley, taking one of the chairs. I sat down in the other and began to awkwardly roll up my long-sleeved shirt as the doctor filled a syringe from a small vial. Okay, this will only take a minute, he said, swabbing my skin with an alcohol wipe. I had to keep from flinching. It was the most contact I'd had with another person in a year. He misinterpreted my reaction and gave me a small smile. Don't worry, we are not even to the needle yet. It won't be any worse than that, though. I promise you. With a practiced motion, he slid the small metal point into my arm and depressed the plunger. See? Simple as can be. Now just wait in the lobby for 15 minutes and you'll be free to go. Will there be other people in there? 
I asked nervously, thinking of the cramped quarters. In two weeks, you won't have to ask those questions anymore. <laughs> Laughed Dr. Hurley. But no, there'll be no one else there. We've staggered the appointment so that we only have one person in at a time. The last thing we need is someone catching the disease they came here to get safe from. That small cough tickled at the back of my throat again, trying to get out. I realized that I really ought to be more concerned about other people catching something from me right now than vice versa. If they had gotten their timing right, though, there would be no risk in either direction. The 15 minutes passed slowly. I paced back and forth, my eyes on the clock over the door. I made a beeline for the door when the time was up, anxious to get home and seal myself away again. The nurse checked my card and wished me good luck, but I only gave him the barest grunt in return. I'd had more than enough social interaction for the day. The idea of getting back into the subway repulsed me. I started to flag down a taxi, but as it pulled to the curb, I saw the driver putting on his mask and realized that he'd been driving around without it on, filling the air in the tiny cabin with his germs. I shook my head and waved him away. He gave me the finger as he pulled back into traffic. I didn't care what he thought of me. I just didn't want his diseases. When I got home, I stripped off the clothes I'd been out in and stuffed them into a garbage bag, then double-bagged it for safety. I took a hot shower and scrubbed myself down thoroughly. The rising steam made me cough. I could feel it deep in my chest. Had I gotten the vaccine too late? Where could I have picked the virus up from? Maybe the vaccine would take the virus out anyway. I took my temperature after the shower. It was 101.3, but that might have just been from the hot water. I tried again an hour later, but it had only dropped to 100.9. I felt feverish, achy. I told myself it was side effects from the vaccine. I hoped I was right. As the day went on, I felt worse and worse. My fever spiked. My arm throbbed where I'd gotten the shot. I was racked with strange cramps. I wanted to see if my symptoms were normal, but my phone was charging across the room and I was too tired to get up off the couch to go get it. Eventually, I fell asleep on the couch, only to awaken sometime in the early evening with a pressing, immediate need to vomit. I tumbled off the couch, landing heavily on my knees and lurching to my feet. I staggered down the hallway, praying I'd make it to the bathroom in time. I flipped open the lid of the toilet and fell in front of it, hands gripping the rim. Saliva flooded my mouth and my stomach lurched like the entire organ was trying to fling itself to safety. Next thing I knew, I woke up, curled up, naked on the bathroom floor. I checked my head for a lump, assuming I must have hit it on the toilet, but there was nothing. In fact, I felt fine all over. I was covered in a cold, gelatinous sweat, but my body no longer ached and my fever was gone. Even the tickle in my throat was absent. Whatever this Dambraka vaccine was, it worked fast. I was starving, though. Possibly literally. My stomach felt like it had never contained food before. I wiped myself down with a towel, getting the worst of that cold sweat off of me, and made my way down the hallway to the kitchen, using the wall for support. My legs were weak and shaky, and my arms felt rubbery. I sat down, cross-legged in front of the refrigerator, and began to eat. I still had two or three days' worth of leftovers from the last time I'd ordered takeout, but it disappeared within minutes. I shoveled it into my face without so much as a utensil. When the food was gone, I licked the container and sat back with a sigh. It was an amazing improvement. With my hunger sated, my mind was free to turn to other, less pressing thoughts, like, why was I naked? 
I puzzled over this as I rinsed off at the sink. I'd gotten dressed again after my shower. I'd still been wearing those clothes when I'd fallen asleep on the couch, so I definitely had them on when I ran to the bathroom to throw up. I must have taken them off at some point, but they weren't in the bathroom. Had I gone to bed, then felt sick again, and returned to the bathroom? I didn't remember doing that, but obviously, something had happened. I headed for the bedroom, figuring that maybe if I found where I'd put my clothes, I'd remember how they'd gotten there. I flipped on the light and stopped stock still in shock. My clothes were in the bed, and wearing them was me. I looked terrible. I was pale and sweaty, and judging by how I was tangled up in the sheets, I'd been thrashing around in my sleep. But it was definitely me. I recognized myself anywhere. The me in the bed opened his eyes, saw me standing in the doorway, and groaned. Hallucinations now? He threw a pillow at me. I caught it reflexively. What is this? I asked, still trying to process what I was seeing. You're a fever dream and I feel terrible, he mumbled, turning over. Turn out the light. I don't feel terrible, I told him, but I'm still seeing you. Did I hit my head when I threw up after all? Which time? What do you mean, which time? When I threw up earlier? Yeah, but in the bathroom, out of the window, or in the trash can. He coughed, a deep, hollow sound. I recoiled and grabbed a mask off of the dresser, slapping it over my face. My duplicate laughed weakly. You look ridiculous naked with a mask on. Well, you look sick, and I'm not catching whatever you've got. It's vaccine side effects. We both know I could feel that cough before going to get the vaccine this morning. Anyway, what do you mean out the window and in the trash can? I only threw up once in the bathroom. Then I blacked out. He groaned again. I wish that were how it happened. That was like eight hours ago. Every time I throw up, it's like I'm squeezing an entire garbage bag out of my throat. That first one clogged the toilet. Just one more thing I'm going to have to fix in the morning. I went for the window on the second one, but someone yelled at me and I didn't want them to figure out where I was, so I grabbed the trash can for the third. I swear I'm empty at this point, but I still feel nauseated. He coughed again, his whole body curling up as he did. I moved slowly across the room, peering past my double to the floor beyond. Sitting next to the bed was the plastic trash can I kept in my bedroom, one of the little two-gallon ones. It was tipped on its side and filling the bin and spilling out across the floor was a dark, gray, pulsating sack. It was easily two feet long and featureless like a slug. The gray material was shot through with spidery black veins, and as I watched, I could see it bulge as something shifted and pushed on it from within. It didn't look like it was going anywhere, so I risked taking my eyes off of it and went back to the kitchen for a knife. When I returned, it was already slightly larger than it had been. I pierced the sack with the knife, A thick, gelatinous goo oozed out. I recognized the texture from the cold sweat I'd woken up in. I peeled back the edges of the gray film to reveal the shape inside. Curled up and as yet unformed though it was, it was obviously human, or going to be. It didn't look like a baby though. It looked like a tiny adult, and the hair growing in was exactly the same red as mine. As I watched, its skin began to turn brittle and crack. Deprived of the protective material of the sack during its growth process, it was falling apart before my eyes. 
I stared with a mixture of horror and pity as it crumbled and died, deliquescing into an Icarus puddle on the floor. It never opened its eyes. It was not far enough along for that. I turned my gaze to the version of myself in the bed. He had gone back to sleep, apparently still convinced that I was a fever dream. I looked at his sweaty, limp, disease-ridden body and I knew I had to protect myself from him. Right now, I was clean, healthy. The longer we breathed the same air, though, the less likely that was to be the case. I took the pillow he'd thrown at me earlier. I eased myself onto the bed, straddling his unconscious form. Positioning my weight fully above his head, I placed the pillow over his face and pressed down with all my strength. He woke partway through. I'd hoped he'd stay asleep, that this would be as simple as with the half-formed one, but no such luck. He grunted and flailed, but his movements were, were weak and my grip was good. The pillow protected me from his last frenzied breaths. I kept it in place for several minutes afterward to make sure both that he was dead and that no last viruses could escape into the air. Afterward, I opened the window to air out the apartment. Looking out into the alley, I remembered he had said he'd thrown up a third time outside. It was a long drop down. I tried to tell myself that it couldn't possibly have survived the fall. I knew, though, that I was going to have to go down and check. I had gotten dressed and was just about to go outside when I heard the front doorknob rattle. Great, I heard my voice say from the other side of the door. I'm going to have to go get the super like this. The knife I'd used to slit the sack open was still in reach. I grabbed it and hid behind my back as I opened the door. On the other side, blinking at me in surprise, was another naked copy of myself. He still glistened with the birth slime and he had wrapped several sheets of newspaper around his waist to hide his nudity. Come in quick, I told him. I'll explain everything. As soon as he stepped past me, I slashed the knife across his throat, slamming the door as I did so. He collapsed to his knees, gurgling, blood fountained, spraying the clothes I'd just put on. Confusion and fear rolled across his face. He clutched his neck, trying to hold the blood inside, but it was a futile effort. I had to, I told him. You didn't even have a mask on outside. You were rooting around in the trash. You could be carrying anything. I couldn't have you breathing in here. I used the towel I'd had blocking the front door to sop up the mess. I dragged the bodies into the bathroom while I figured out what to do about them. I probably have to cut them up to get them out of here. It's fine. I've got two more weeks of isolation. It'll make a good final quarantine project. Symbolically, it feels right. I'm getting rid of the old me to make room for the new. A lot of folks are going to be doing that in the coming days. Most of them just won't need quite so many dumpsters to manage it. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. 
They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I hope you enjoyed Dambraca, as written by Micah Edwards and voiced by Luis Bermudez. If you dig Micah Edwards' work, simply search for him on Amazon, where you'll find his many books for print, including his fantastic novel, Y'all Hazred, or visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Edwards, spelled E-D-W-A-R-D-S, and you'll be redirected to his author page on Amazon. Whereby clicking through via that link, a small portion of your purchase goes to us here at Chilling Tales, where we're proud Amazon affiliates to help make this show possible. Voice actor Luis Bermudez can be found right here on our very own network on the Bermudez Triangle Show. And pay attention to that voice, folks, because this voice actor can also be found on several anime programs on the Funimation Network. Our second tale of the evening is written by N.M. Brown and performed by Olivia Steele and Melissa Exelberth. In it, we will meet a new couple navigating through the world of second chances. Things seem to be going well. However, a token of love soon becomes a tomb of terror. Now, without further ado, I present to you, L is for Locket. $100 bid, now $150, now $150, can I get $150? The auctioneer's face was red with sweat, but he showed no signs of struggling breaths as he spoke faster than anyone I'd ever heard. $150 bid, now two, now two, will you give me $300? $300 bid, now $350, now $350, will you give me $350? My girlfriend Alma raised her marker in the air confidently. She'd been watching the other's body language and was very good at reading lips. She waited for the cowards to bow out before she offered any money. That's just who she was. Sold! The man pounded a gavel against a makeshift podium before collecting our money and handing us the keys. She's all yours, he muttered as he walked off, disappearing into the dust of the storage lot. All right, she said excitedly. Let's go check it out. There could be anything in there. I heard a story about a lady who bought a unit full of clothes She thought it was all junk until she noticed a $100 bill sticking out of a pocket on a pair of jeans. It turned out that there were over a thousand dollars just stuffed in random pockets. A fire of intrigue burned in her eyes and her smile became wider the more she spoke. I loved her. I still love her, even though she's gone. We searched through box after box, about to cut our losses and give up hope until Alma found a rectangular box that had fallen behind a beaten-down bureau. Maggie, look. She smiled. Maybe something's good in here. I lifted it from her manicured hands before placing it on the ground at our feet, dropping down to one knee before opening the top. My fingers left trails in the dust along the top and sides as the four sides lifted away. A wooden box sat inside with the clasp sealed but luckily unlocked. It looks like an old cigar box, 
I muttered. I could practically see the dollar signs materialize in my girlfriend's eyes as I popped the clasp free. Flurries of gray and white danced around our noses as the lid lifted. The inside was empty, save for a pile of ash. It looked like some asshole had used this for some kind of makeshift ashtray at one point. Alma blew straight into the middle of the box, surrounding my face with dust and ash. Fuck! I yelped. I just took a shower this morning. A silver locket sat at the very bottom, lying peacefully against the bottom wall of what had fatefully become its home. My fingers fumbled as I struggled to open the finger-sized heart attached to the chain. More sediment rested on the grooves inside. I was so intent on blowing them away that I barely heard Alma behind me. It don't look like it's worth anything, honey. Hey, why don't we put our pictures in there? I know I have a tiny one of me somewhere at home. The mention of this notion gathered my attention immediately. Both of us had lost our husbands, making us widows at a very early age. Grief turned into comfort, and comfort turned into love. As close as Alma and I were becoming, we hadn't quite achieved that level of intimacy yet. Nevertheless, it was a kind gesture, and I didn't feel like spoiling her good mood. So I contemplated her idea and agreed. Upon closer inspection, the left half of the locket was empty. A black and white weathered picture of an elderly woman was nestled into the right side. The eyelash tweezers in the front of my purse were the perfect tool to remove it gently with no damage. I reverently placed the picture in the top drawer of the bureau before handing the locket over for her to take home. After dropping Alma off at her house and arriving at my own, I began to sort through the box of family pictures. I'd been neglecting them since Kevin's death and decided now was as good a time as any to take on the emotional hurdle. I won't go into explaining the maelstrom of emotions I was swept up in until I found the perfect picture. After all, that's not why we're here. We're here because Alma was supposed to meet me later that evening and never showed up. She recently took to the habit of silencing her cell phone, so I wasn't alarmed right away when she didn't answer. I sat at that diner for over an hour waiting before deciding to stop over at her house. We didn't live that far away from each other, and I figured, worst case scenario, she had laid down to take a nap and ended up sleeping through our date. A myriad of smells consumed me the moment I let myself into her front door, confirming the gnawing feeling possessing my gut that something was wrong. Sweet undertones of copper and charcoal clashed against sulfur, reminding me of death, shit, and brimstone. My eyes watered in protest, as if trying to shield my vision from what it was about to behold. My assumption was, unfortunately, half right. She did lay down for a nap. However, it's not entirely fair to say that was the reason she'd inadvertently stood me up. This skin that had once been so soft and beautiful now resembled a blown-out end of a burnt hot dog. Tears of disgust turned to those of sorrow as I knelt next to her charred body. None of the rest of the room was touched by flame, including the locket which was now laying against the blackened bones of her neck. I was surprised to see that even the edges of her bedspread remained pristine in their original color. 
It was as if she was incinerated on the spot. It's hard enough to lose a loved one. Fuck knows I'd gone through it once before. But to actually be the one to find their body, it's an indescribable madness. This was a whole new level of PTSD that my body and mind weren't ready for. It was all I could do to call 911 and make it through their questions until they were satisfied enough to let me go home. I couldn't get out of there fast enough. I wanted away from all the death and pain. I had already faced accepting the ghost of the life I should have had with my husband haunting me all throughout my home, and my soul barely contained enough strength to do that. A strangled shriek escaped my lips involuntarily as I reached my doorstep. A pristine silver chain holding a heart clashed against the dull brass of my doorknob, the same one I'd seen around Alma's charred vertebrae not three hours before. Despite it just surviving flesh-melting heat, it was almost freezing cold against the skin of my palm as I removed it from its resting place and warily carried it inside. Shrill screams resembling the whistles of a teapot assaulted my brain as I opened the locket with trembling hands. Alma's picture remained inside, smiling and heartbreakingly hopeful. The feeling was too much to bear. I hadn't known how it found its way to my home, but I didn't care. All I cared about was getting rid of it. Her funeral was beautiful, just as she'd have wanted. No one wore black, and there was more laughter shared at fond memories than tears. It disturbed me, if I'm honest. Alma's life was robbed from her mysteriously. It felt wrong to feel happiness at celebrating a life that was cut so short. I ashamedly lost my composure the moment Alma's daughter, Leah, walked up to me. I was sure she wasn't too aware of the relationship I had with her mother, so I'm sure my reaction surprised her. I apologized for her loss, avoiding looking into the same eyes that belonged to her mother, the same eyes that had liquefied into the sockets of her skull. I handed her the locket tenderly, failing to mention her mother was wearing it when she died. The squealing stopped the moment it left my hands. She graciously accepted it before rejoining her grandparents to mourn. Visions of gleaming white teeth against the darkness of burned flesh chased me through my sleep that entire week. An accompanying feeling of dread followed throughout. It felt like something terrible was coming, but given the recent tragedies of my life, I didn't see what I had left to lose. The sinking feeling was confirmed once I opened my front door to check the mailbox. Tears of panic pricked the corners of my eyes to see the locket once again resting by its chain on my doorknob. Not knowing Leah's personal phone number, I decided to look her up on Facebook. My fingers were at the ready to take furious flight as I demanded to know why she returned her mother's jewelry. However, I didn't get that far. Dozens of heartfelt messages of grief and consolation flooded the wall of her entire profile. An article was linked in one of the comments, local girl passes away in isolated house fire. Once again, my head filled with the excruciating squeals of the locket's needs. It had taken two lives and was hungry for another. I tossed it to a homeless person, only to find it hanging around the flag of my mailbox when I returned home. After the fourth death, a thought occurred to me. Maybe all it wanted were pictures, 
so I placed two miniature photos of celebrities inside before locking it away in an old jewelry box. Almost five days later, they both died at the exact same moment in unrelated locations. I tried locking it away without pictures, only to open it up and find photos of childhood friends and loved ones, soon to meet their unwilling deaths. In my mind, I only had one last option, one final trick hidden up my proverbial sleeve. My parents passed away earlier that year in a car accident. I just happened to have their old wedding album, and I was more than relieved to see that some of the photographs were taken from very far away. Their faces almost fit too perfectly inside, as if somehow predestined to be there. A searing heat radiated through the metal pendant and into my hands. I cried out in pain as I dropped it to the tile floor below. Hours went by. I can't say exactly how many, but it was long enough to give me hope that I'd finally beat this cursed thing. My head just hit the pillow when I recognized the sound of my front door slamming open. The distinct sound of a step and a drag had drifted from the front room to the kitchen before I had the chance to get down there. What I saw robbed the breath from my lungs. My mother's fetid corpse stood haughtily next to my kitchen counter, clasping a ceramic urn in her bony hands. One thing I'd forgotten during my ordeal was that my father was cremated. Flecks of the same white and gray that had been blown away from the inside of the locket in the storage unit now flowed freely from inside the urn as my mother freed the lid. Her mummified lips struggled briefly before she was able to articulate the proper words. My love, to ashes you fell. Now from ashes you rise. I hope you enjoyed L is for Locket, as written by N.M. Brown and voiced by Olivia Steele and Melissa Axelberth. To find more of award-winning author N.M. Brown, visit simplyscurrypodcast.com slash brown, spelled B-R-O-W-N, and you'll be redirected to her author profile on creepypastastories.com, as well as her Amazon page. As a reminder, voice actress Olivia Steele's work can be found on the official Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel. Olivia Steele also has her own YouTube channel, Scarily Olivia. Be sure to check her out when you can. I assure you, you won't be disappointed. Voice actress Melissa Exelberth's vocal talents can also be found right here on our very own YouTube channel, as well as on her website, melissaexelberth.com. Be sure to let her know you heard them here. You won't be sorry that you did. Now, our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week 
as we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.